Father, thank you uh, for this day and what a privilege it is to sing praises unto you, to sing these wonderful Christmas carols that exalt and point to your son Jesus. Father, we are so thankful that you have changed our hearts and that it's not simply a season for us, but it is about our Savior, uh, who we uh, praise and thank you for. And uh, Lord, I do pray as we look into uh, this passage today that you would remind us and uh, of what you have done for us through your son, Jesus. And for anyone who's never heard the good news, may they uh, hear it clearly and may they respond uh, for today is the day of salvation. And so we thank you for this time and we commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do you celebrate Christmas? Uh, for many in our country, it's a time for food and family and friends. Certainly that's true. It's a time to shop, uh, pick up gifts. Uh, it's a time to get together. Um, but yet, why do we celebrate Christmas? What is the reason for why we do so? Well, today we're going to be reminded from the Word of God that it is so much more than just um, so much more than just a babe in the manger, that there was a reason for why the babe in the manger came. And so let's turn our Bibles to Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53. And we're going to be reminded of a wonderful passage uh, that reveals uh, 700 years before Christ came that God had a plan and that God would send his son for us and that he would take on human flesh and he would die for our sins. Isaiah chapter uh, 53. Now, in the book of Isaiah, it was written, as I just mentioned, 700 years before Christ. And it was written by the prophet Isaiah, inspired by the Spirit. And the subject of Isaiah is, is a restoration of the created order, that God is going to restore the created order through two means, either judgment or redemption. It is about restoration of the created order. And within that, we see that Isaiah uh, reveals that God will judge the nations the un and, and unbelieving Israel, and that redemption would come through uh, a person, and he would be typified by Cyrus first, who would let the Jews free from their bondage, uh, from their exile. But then he begins to show truly who it is who would set us free from our sins, and we have in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, which we'll look at today. And also, we have uh, this wonderful invitation a couple chapters after Isaiah 53. Turn to Isaiah 55 for a second. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 1. And this is an invitation after having looked at what we'll look at today. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? And then look at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the upright, and the unrighteous, excuse me, man, his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Today's an opportunity to seek the Lord when he may be found. 
some of you may not truly know the Lord Jesus Christ. You may have heard of him. You may have grown up in the church. All you've heard is about Jesus. But you've not truly sought the Lord by turning to him from your sins to receive forgiveness of sins. And today, our passage is going to remind us of the message that God brings forth for us, the Christmas message. Turn back to Isaiah 53, and we're going to look at this suffering servant. We're going to see the message of Christmas. Isaiah 53, and I'm going to read through it first. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor an appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised, and yet we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Now let's stop there for a moment and take a look at who this passage is speaking of. You know, to the Jews who have blinders over their eyes, uh, they would not see this as Jesus. They would see it as something else or as, as the nation even in a sense suffering. But the reality is scripture reveals that this passage is about Jesus. Turn to Acts chapter 8 where we see it's very clearly concerning Jesus. Very clearly and as you're turning there, if you, if you turn to the Lord, uh, the blinders are lifted. You'll be able to see. You'll be able to see. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. That is, a desert road. And he arose and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch of the court, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. And when Philip had ran up, had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? That's a good question, right? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation and judgment he was taken away. Who shall relate to his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Our passage is about Jesus. Our passage about Jesus, God who took on human flesh. You shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It is about Jesus. And so then, recognizing this, uh, we remember, uh, as we look at this, this message that we'll look at is about Jesus, about God who took 
on human flesh. Look back in our passage in Isaiah 53. Notice he begins with the, with the question, who has believed our message? Who has believed it? And to whom has the strong arm of the Lord been revealed? Notice this message concerning Jesus is simply that. It is a message, and it is a message to be believed. Who has believed our message? He begins with a question, a vitally important question, uh, the message about Jesus. And we see that he is to be believed. It is to be believed, this message concerning Jesus. It is not a message that we take in with our senses or our reason alone. We are to believe the message. Believe the message. We're to believe what God shares inspired by his spirit. And today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, but believe what God has revealed concerning his son, Jesus. Indeed, in John chapter 20, verse 31, John writes this. He says, but these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. God has given us his word that we would believe it, that we would believe it. Indeed, the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Romans, he actually quotes this passage and makes it clear that the message is, is, is not only about Jesus, but as I just mentioned, it must be believed. Keep your finger in Isaiah and turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall we call upon him? How then shall they call upon him whom they've not believed? Excuse me, whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. However, they, and this is speaking of the Jews, they did not all heed the glad tidings. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. But I say to you, surely they've never heard, have they? Indeed, their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Who has believed our report? It is a message to be believed and it is revealed in the word of God. It is revealed in the word of God. Have you believed the message? Have you believed the truth that God has revealed in the gospel? Have you believed that you're a sinner and you need a savior, Jesus Christ? Have you believed this message? Now, back in our passage, Isaiah 53, notice verse 1. Who has believed our message? And the implication here prophetically is that Israel didn't believe it. Because uh, in Romans, Paul makes it clear that's really what happened. Who believed it? Well, pretty much nobody, not many. They all yelled, crucify him. 
Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Indeed, here we see that this message is revealed by God and not from men. It is not a human message. It is a message from God. It is a message from him. Galatians chapter uh, Galatians uh, chapter 1 makes that clear. Paul will say in Galatians 1.11, For I would make you known, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to men. For I neither received it from men, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. And he goes on in Galatians 1.16, uh, 1.15, But when he had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through the grace of God, was pleased to reveal his son to me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He is, and he was, revealed. The message was revealed from God. And so here we have an overview of the message. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who has it been revealed to? The term arm spoke of strength. spoke of strength. To whom has the Lord's, the Lord's strength been revealed? And we're going to see this strength is his saving strength, his saving power. We're going to see in context. The Lord's saving strength and power in Christ. Who has it been revealed to? Well, it's revealed through the message. The message of the good news in the gospel. The true Christmas message is about the saving strength and power of God through his son Jesus who became a human flesh, who took on human flesh and then died for our sins and rose from the dead as we'll see from this passage. Well, notice it's a message, and it is a message that is revealed. But also it is a message about Jesus in his humanity, in his humanity. Look at verse 2. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. He's explaining this, this saving message. For this is the message of the Lord's strong arm that has been revealed. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor an appearance that we should be attracted to him. The message to be believed concerning Jesus from the word, first of all, we see it is about his humanity. This is an amazing statement about the incarnation. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Jesus grew up in his humanity before the Father like a tender shoot. The tender shoot spoke of a young, vulnerable plant. Indeed, we see in Scripture the babe in the manger. We see the babe in the manger. Now, I believe he's talking about those years in which Jesus grew up, the years of his childhood, the years in which no one fully comprehended the reality of what God was going to do through his son Jesus. And the father was carefully watching the son, uh, his son who was tender and vulnerable, who grew up before him, just like we grew up, just like we grew up from childhood. Listen to these following verses. We see it in Luke chapter 1. You could turn there, Luke chapter 1, 28. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And this is Luke one twenty-eight now. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for this reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. For this reason, God is taken on human flesh. We see this. This is how it happens. And we already read earlier in in Luke chapter 2 that uh, she gave birth to a child. She gave birth, Luke chapter 2 verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. John puts it this way, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and dwelt among us. And we have a little statement in Luke chapter 2, verse 40. And the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. God took on human flesh, became a man, became human like all of us, yet without sin. And he grew up like each and every one of us, but he grew up before the Father like a tender shoot. This is concerning his humanity his humanity that's part of the message god became human flesh god took on human flesh and then notice we have the further statement and like a root out of parched ground so a tender shoot from god's perspective but from israel's perspective he came at a time when the ground was parched when the ground was dry they were not responsive they didn't respond to the messiah they didn't respond to him they ultimately cried out to crucify him Obviously, he's the root, an offspring of Jesse, but he's a root in parched ground, in parched ground. You see, they were parched, they were barren in relationship to God. They were very religious, but very barren. And maybe some of you are very religious, but yet you're very barren in relationship to God. Well, you need to pray that uh, God would uh, open your eyes to see the truth of his son Jesus before it's too late. Because Israel, at his time, rejected him, as we'll say. So notice, he came and grew up before them in a time in which Israel was hostile towards him. In a time in which Israel was hostile. And notice uh, what he says here in the middle of verse 2. We notice his, his humility in the incarnation. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor an appearance that we should be attracted to him. This tells you about the humanity and humility, as we'll see, of the living God who took on human flesh. These, Jesus, although being God, humbled himself to take on an additional nature, fully God, but now fully man, additional nature, and he became just like us, and he was nothing special, humanly speaking. We have some special humans out there. We've got some really uh, talented and good-looking humans out there. We really do. But the second Adam was not, in a way, perfect in a sense, physically speaking, a specimen like the first Adam, I believe. 
He was sinless, but he was nothing special in his appearance. Nothing special in his appearance. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, for, nor an appearance that we should be attracted to him. You know, people are attracted to people. You wouldn't have Instagram or whatever, all that stuff, that social media stuff, if people weren't attracted at looking at people or looking at themselves even. The reality is mankind is obsessed with mankind. Mankind takes uh, mankind and makes it an idol. We see that. But here, when God took on human flesh, he didn't come in a form, in a human form, that we would be attracted to him. He had no stately form or majesty. Stately form speaks of outline. That's that's his stature. There was nothing physically about Jesus that stood out, a normal man. Majesty speaks of an ornament or splendor or honor. There was nothing visibly about him that was or that that, that was ornate or, or or made him shine or whatever it might be. His his teeth didn't sparkle. He didn't have a glow around his head. Nothing that we should look upon him. Nothing special. Nothing special. There was nothing physical about Jesus that stood out that we would be drawn by our eyes to him. Nothing special. He was a normal man, normal human being like you and I, like you and I, although fully God. And notice it says, nor in appearance, end of verse 2, that we should be attracted to him. God the Father could have chose Jesus to be the prime attractive physical specimen. He could have done so. He didn't do so. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor an appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was just like us. Read this earlier, Hebrews chapter 2, 14. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he also likewise partook of the same. He partook of the same. Although being fully God, God took on human flesh. He left his heavenly glory, the riches of heaven, to humble himself and and humbled himself to become like us, to become, as we'll see, a servant. A servant. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. That's speaking of the incarnation. And I like reading this passage. We can turn there in Hebrews chapter 10 because we have a conversation between the Father and the Son about taking on human flesh and doing the will which would lead to uh, the death of his Son and resurrection. It's interesting. I was listening to the radio this last week, a Christian station, and the guy was talking on and on and on about councils and the heavenlies between the Trinity. Not one bit of scripture. I'm thinking, just read the passage. This is what we have. This is what it talks about. Just read that passage. Go through all these gyrations of all these theological things. I'm thinking, just read the passage. I'm not screaming it in the car. But let's read it right here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, that's speaking of of God taking on human flesh, he says, sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired. The Son is saying that to the Father. You didn't desire all the offerings from the Old Testament. That's not what you desire. Those pointed to what he would do, as we'll say. But a body thou hast prepared for me. God the Son saying, you prepared a body for me. 
He says here, In whole burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the roll of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. And after saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first, that's the first covenant, in order to establish the second. That's the new covenant in the blood of Christ. By this will, God doing, God the Son doing the Father's will to come and die for our sins, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, but he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. That's why our Jesus isn't still on the cross like the false Jesus of the Catholics. He finished the work and he sat down. He rose from the dead and sat down at the right hand of God. He finished the work. Waiting for, waiting for that time onward when his enemies will be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. In Philippians 2, we gain the mindset of our Savior that we are to have towards one another. That very mindset that Christ had, what he was thinking, his mindset when he took on human flesh. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. The very mindset of our Savior. Philippians 2, verse 5 after admonishing us to consider one another as more important than ourselves, to love one another in the context of, of, of his spirit working through us, he says, have this attitude, Philippians 2.5, in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The term attitude, you could translate it mind. Think this way. Think the way Jesus thought. And he gives us those thoughts. He shares it to us which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Tremendous reality. Have you ever truly pondered what God the Son did for us? What God the Son did for us? It's the message of Christmas. It's about Jesus. It's revealed in the Word. It's to be believed. It's about His humanity and his humility. But notice it's also about his rejection. Back in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verse 3. And he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. That's verse 3. This is an amazing statement. God took on human flesh and he was despised and forsaken of men. He was counted as nothing and he was rejected by men. We see throughout the Gospels men rejecting Jesus and forsaking, even betraying him. Why should we think we deserve anything more than that? 
The reality is we're going to follow in his footsteps. We're going to suffer also in that sense, and even in ministry. God in human flesh was despised and forsaken. And so we see here, he wasn't, he was, he was rejected. And notice it says he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We see this throughout the Gospels. Jesus grieving over death, unbelief, man's sin, Israel's outright rejection of him. We know he came to his own, but they rejected him, right? He was in the world, John 1.10. And the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. They didn't receive him. This is unbelievable. God takes on human flesh, and mankind rejects him. It's about his rejection, by the way. And it's a rejection that led him to the Father's perfect plan to the cross, as we'll see, to die for our sins. Listen to what Peter writes. And he himself, or excuse me, 1 Peter 2, 4, and coming to him as a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, rejected by men. You know, on a side note, if you follow Jesus and you truly follow Jesus and Jesus is truly living out his life in you as you abide in him, you're going to be rejected by men. Now here it was religious men who claimed to follow the same God uh, that Jesus said, I and the Father were one, three persons, one God. And so then, this leads to the question, why would God the Son continually worshipped by angels, leave his glory to come to his fallen creation, cursed creation, yet without sin. He was without sin. Why come and experience the sorrows and grief that sinful man brought to bear upon creation? Why Christmas? Why so? Well, notice uh, he was despised and rejected. He was forsaken a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and one from whom men hid their face. Verse 3, he's despised. The term means not even thought about, treated as nothing, treated as of no value. Jesus uh, had no value in their eyes. And there are a lot of people right now walking this earth that Jesus has no value in their eyes. And a lot of people in churches that Jesus has no value in a practical sense of a real relationship. That's man's condition, by the way. That's man's condition. So then, he was a man of sorrows also acquainted with grief. You think no one understands your rejection? No one understands your sorrow? The Lord Jesus does. He understands it better than you will ever know. God took on human flesh. He is a merciful and faithful high priest, tempted in all things, yet without sin. He's a gracious God who understands. When you are going through difficulties for following Christ or difficulties for your sin that you've confessed, God is a gracious God. God's a gracious God. He understands sorrow. Now, his was from the point of sinlessness, but the sin that man's sin brought to bear on his life Sin and death, as we see. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and one from whom men hid their face. Hid their face. Rejected by his very creation. They went away from him. They ran went away from him. Hid their face. Well, it even gets worse. It even gets worse. 
Notice his rejection by men continued and led to, by the Father's perfect plan, his suffering and death. Verse 4, Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He bore our, the griefs and carried our sorrows. Notice that surely he bore our griefs and sorrows. This speaks of the sickness and pain and agony that is associated with sin. And even God in his word reveals in Matthew chapter 8 that he fulfilled this when he was healing. I'll read this for you. Matthew chapter 8 verse 14. And when Jesus had come to Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed. Peter obviously had a wife uh, because he had a mother-in-law who was sick, who was sick. And she was sick in bed with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and waited on him. And when evening had come, they brought many to him who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and he healed all who were ill, in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. He healed everybody that came to him there. And so that fulfilled that, that fulfilled that. But this would lead to the reality of what the ultimate sickness that man has, which is our sin sickness. We see this in 1 Peter 2.24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. So then we have what God did, but yet what did the Jews uh, think of him? Yet we see he was, he, we, yet we ourselves, Isaiah identifying as Jewish, we ourselves esteemed him as stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. They reckoned that his suffering was because God was punishing him, but that's not the case. God was punishing him, but not for that reason. He was taking and bearing our sins and his body on the cross because of our sins. Israel didn't understand. Do you understand? They didn't believe the message. Do you believe the message? It's a message that is revealed in the word of God. It is believed by faith. It is about the humanity of the Son of God. It is about his humility, and it's about his rejection of being rejected, but also it is about his death. Look at verse 5. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Pierced through speaks of a piercing wound, a fatal piercing wound. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus suffered and died, pierced through and crushed because of our sin, because of your sin and because of my sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. Psalm 22. Take a look at Psalm 22 for a moment. We have the Lord Jesus, uh, uh, what he would share prophetically from the mouth of David, a messianic psalm. Psalm 22, verse 14. And he did this for us, by the way. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. 
My strength is dried up like a pot shared, and my tongue cleaves to my jaw. God did take on human flesh. He says, my body, my bones, my tongue, you see. And thou dost lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers have encompassed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and my clothing, for my clothing they cast lots. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity, for our iniquity. So why would God the Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, leave his glory? Uh, To be mistreated by his creation, to be despised, forsaken, to become a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, one from whom men hid their face? Why would he allow himself to be pierced through for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities? Why? Christmas. Isaiah Chapter 59 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Neither is ear too dull that it cannot hear. But God says here, But your iniquities have caused separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you that he does not hear. He does not hear. We see what happened to the Lord Jesus on the cruel Roman cross. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Why Christmas? Because of our sin. Our sin has caused separation between us and God. You see, there is none righteous, not even one. The wages of death is, the wages of sin is death, separation from God. Do you realize that Jesus came and died because of our sin? Why Christmas? Because we are sinful. And God is gracious, merciful, kind, and loving. And he sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins. Jesus died in our place to deliver us from judgment. God's own judgment. Look back in Isaiah again. Verse 5, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. The term chastening here speaks of punishment, the punishment of God. The chastening for our well-being, our shalom, our peace. There's no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. There's no peace, but he was punished so that we could have peace with God through him. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. Jesus took the punishment for our sins. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. That's what Christmas is about. That's why he came, to live the perfect life and to die for our sins. Behold, I have come to do thy will, and thy will was not simply to lay in a manger alone. 
It was to grow up, to live the perfect life, and to die for our sins on the cross and to rise from the dead. You see, when we are justified by faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. We have peace with God, Romans 5.1. Ephesians chapter 2.14, for he himself is our peace. He is our peace. You see, and by his scourging, we are healed. He bore our sins in his body on the cross that we would die to sin and live to God. So why Christmas? All this points to the fact that he died for us. I'm going to come back to it. Let's, let's go past verse 6, but let's look, look, verse 7. We'll come back to verse 6. Notice he voluntarily died for our sins. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like sheep that is silent before its shears, like a sheep silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people for whom the stroke was due. And then look at verse 9. He died. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with the rich man in his death because he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. He was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. So why? Why did he die for our sins? Notice verse 12. Therefore I will lot a portion uh, with him, a portion with the great, and will divide the booty with the strong, because, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So what's the message when we say Merry Christmas? What, a, what should we be thinking within that? Well, first of all, it's the message about Jesus Christ. And it is a message that is received by faith. And it is a message about his humanity, taking on human flesh, his humility, uh, becoming like us, to be a servant, to do God's will unto death. It is a message about uh, his dying in our place, his sacrificial death for our sins. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And why so? Look back at verse 6. Here's the reason. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned his own way. This is the human condition. This is the human condition. Why Christmas? Because we're all like sheep who've gone astray. We all have turned aside our own way. The reality is there is none righteous, not even one. And what is God's response to mankind turning away from him in their sin is to send his son, Jesus, for us. Look at the passage again, verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned his own way. That's us. But in contrast to us in our fallen state, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18. Tremendous reality. We have in Titus, For we were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, 
deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 9, but this is the love of God. By this, the love of God was manifest in us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world. That's Christmas, at least the first part, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son, now here you go, to be the propitiation for our sins, to satisfy God's wrath for our sinful condition. He died for our sins and rose from the dead. So who has believed the message? Have you believed the message? To whom has the Lord's saving arm been revealed? It's been revealed to you today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Are you willing to acknowledge you're a sinner and you need a Savior, Jesus Christ, no matter how religious you've been, no matter how much church you've ever gone to, that you're a sinner and do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? He was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. And are you willing to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved? To be saved. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, buy and eat. Come, buy wine, milk without cost, without money without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him for he will abundantly pardon. So what should be our response to this? We need to turn to the Lord, if you haven't, and be saved. But those of us who are believers who have been by his grace saved by faith in Christ Jesus, what should we be doing? What did the shepherds do when they heard the message of great joy? And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. We should be rejoicing this Christmas and every day because God sent his son Jesus and he died for our sins and brought salvation to us when we were astray. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. You are so gracious and so good and so kind. And may we truly uh, overflow with joy this Christmas season, being reminded of what you have done for us through your son, Jesus, that we would uh, focus and, and uh, meditate on the reality of your son, Jesus, and what he's done and walk with him and praise him and honor him uh, so that you would be greatly glorified. Father, we thank you for your, your son, Jesus. We thank you for your love and sending him for us. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen.